This is a punishment, a correction from their father to try to get them back on the path of noticing him, appreciating him, and worshiping him. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends, Karen. Hello. And Tracy. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> we just spent the last, I don't know, half an hour talking about all the <laughs> ailments of old age. <laughs> <laughs> How things just, your warranty expires at 50, it seems. Definitely. <laughs> I'm not there yet, though. Oh, and your warranty's already expired. What are you even over? Pushing the limits of your warranty. <laughs> I would say, I would say, I'm the baby on the show right now because I'm, 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 I've still got a few months to go before I hit it. <laughs> but I could tell things are starting to go. <laughs> my, my, my knees are a little creaky too. So, oh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, we're talking about just all the joys of, uh, of. Aging and uh, how, how much fun it is. <laughs> well, I don't know how you guys are handling it. Well, actually, I do because we just talked about it for a half an hour straight. But I, I am whiny. <laughs> That's my well, best coping mechanism so far is whining. I think if you'd ask Regina, she'd probably say the same thing about me. Mm. <laughs> my coping mechanism is that I age, but I don't mature. So. <laughs> You know? <laughs> oh, you know, I just this this last week I said something to, you know, a client said something and I just instantly made a dirty joke out loud. And she just looks at me and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm 12. I'm sorry. <laughs> it just came right out. She goes, I want to be like you when I grow up. She's in her 20s. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Oh, it's it's so much fun. It is just a hoot. Oh, they're showing my age. It's a hoot. Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh gosh. Oh well, it's all, it's all good. It's all fun. It's all, uh, it's all part of life. So we just uh, take it and 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 go along. <laughs> I was gonna say just take it and go. Except our knees don't work, so that going, <laughs> it's slower than it used At to least be. Take it and hobble quietly anymore. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, my ability take to sneak up on my second child is gone because he'll definitely hear me come up with the stairs at this point. He'll hear mm. your knees creaking or he'll hear you groaning. Exactly. The knees creaking. <laughs> Snap, crackle, pop all the way up the stairs. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've gotten to the point where I look at us by the stairs and go, how badly do I need to go up there? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> drop drop something on the <laughs> drop something on the floor and go uh it's fine it's, it's fine <laughs> oh, all right well <laughs> speaking of picking things up how about we pick up our conversation from where we left off last week <laughs> well actually last week we were studying the book of habakkuk and this week we're back into the book of jeremiah we're looking at the chapters, uh, Jeremiah chapters 41 through 44. And so a bit of review now is that uh, Israel and Judah split into two separate nations. Israel was carried away by the Assyrians. Now we've seen Judah carried away by the Chaldeans, or as we would better know them, um, the Babylonians. Babylonians, thank you. My brain just went completely blank there. 
<laughs> it's that old age setting in. And uh, and so Judah and Israel are essentially, they're basically no more. But there were a few who managed to come back from areas they had been scattered to before and come back into Judah. And there is a governor who had been set up by Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon named Gedaliah. I think that's the way we're going to pronounce his name. And last week, we saw that Gedaliah had been warned that there was uh, an, an assassination conspiracy against him by somebody named um, Ishmael. And and uh, Gedaliah had just dismissed it. He dismissed this concept or idea that he was going to be assassinated. Well, this uh, guy Ishmael brings with brings 10 other guys with him. They... They come to Mitzpah, where Gedaliah is staying, and he kills Gedaliah and the Jews. It says the Jews who were with him. Now, obviously, it's not the whole remnant of Judah that had come back, but uh, Gedaliah, we barely knew him, and and uh, he's dead. And so, I don't know, 41 was just an interesting chapter because it's kind of all over the place. You get You get the assassination. You get some men coming in from Shechem, Shiloh, and Samaria with they come in with their beard shaved clothes torn they've cut themselves they're bringing offering and incense to the temple but the temple's been destroyed so uh i thought that was weird i mean wasn't that kind of weird do you wouldn't you have thought that they would have known that the temple was destroyed i don't know i think that kind of surprised me too yeah yeah but you know what got me too is in four when you see it that when Gedaliah was murdered nobody knew it for a couple of days yeah. The so internet how, was down, Tracy. How important was he? <laughs> yeah, the internet was down. We didn't have uh, Elon like Musk set, <laughs> setting up the the the, the remnant uh, remnants with with the with with internet. You know, and I wonder too when I read that about the incense, I wonder if it was just nostalgia. You know what I mean? They just went there, and maybe on the rubble, that's where they were lighting incense. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe, maybe they were coming to mourn the destruction of the temple yeah. because the temple's gone. I mean, it's just yeah. gone. You know, I mean, that was that's an interesting thing to read about at this point, too. I mean, remembering back, man, I remember us didn't see what that long ago, you know, we were talking about how amazing that building was and everything that went into building it. Of course, we've seen it dismantled slowly over the over the years and decades by the different kings uh, and the complete lack of. Mm, respect that they'd been giving to it to the point where it was being used for all the wrong reasons. Right. And, and, and now it's just, it's just gone. Uh, so that was, that was sort of interesting that these guys would come in to do that. But I guess, like you say, maybe it was for the nostalgic portion of it and uh, just kind of be mourning that it was gone. So I guess maybe we could take that as, you know, not everybody was acting badly and still had some, some uh, proper outlook towards God and his temple at that point. All right, well, this guy Ishmael, he entices these guys into the city. And this Ishmael is a bad dude. <laughs> he, he he entices these guys to come into the city and kills them. It's like, what did they do? What did these guys do to you? He's, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what, what is uh, going on with Ishmael here because... He's yeah. You know, first, I thought, okay, maybe he's like playing a nationalist thing, and he's wanting to he's wanting to preserve, you know, what's left of Judah by getting this this Babylonian governor out of there, and 
but then when these guys come in to you know like try to honor what's left or no well, i guess it's not really left but honor the remains i suppose of judah he's killing these guys too so it's like what's up with him i don't know i i could i really couldn't figure out ishmael he does spare a few of them though some of them promise him that he's they're gonna you know oh we've got some treasures out in the field or something like that yeah they had they had and, like uh, food they had we, grain and yeah. oil and stuff like that they had like supplies <clears throat> yeah so i i don't know it seems like maybe it's just more of a power play but i just don't understand him like killing everybody he comes in contact with just uh i don't know just kind of an awful guy well, okay so it said that ishmael was of royal blood hmm so i ended up thinking that maybe it was like a like a almost like an attempt at usurping so are you thinking maybe then he was line of judah royalty you know the only thing is though he couldn't have been that high up because the babylon um nebuchadnezzar probably would have known so i'm wondering if it's you know just so far down in the pecking order that finally he was bumped up since everybody was gone and he thought he would assume some control maybe yeah, so i don't understand why he lashed out at these at these guys who show up. So I that's the part that I couldn't connect in the story. So it's starting in verse four, it says, the day after Gedaliah's assassination, before anyone knew about it, because the internet was down, 80 men who had shaved off their beards, torn their clothes and cut themselves came from Shechem, Shiloh and Samaria, bringing grain offerings and incense with them to the house of the Lord. So were they just upset about the war that was going on and they were coming to do a special offering? Like, was that their great crime? Was that they showed up when Ishmael's on a tear? You know what I mean? Yeah. And and he just like, goes berserk on him and he kills, kills him and throws him into a cistern. Which also made no sense, because why wouldn't you throw them in a field and burn them? You know, why would you throw them in a cistern? Those things don't magically produce themselves. Don't you need your cisterns? Why right. would you foul it up with a stack of bodies? Well, yeah, and it was an old one. I mean, this was, what did it say? It was dug by Asa, so he was like the yep. third king of Israel. Is that after, uh, well, this is what, when the two kingdoms started to split. Yeah, so, he I mean, said he made it as part of his defense. And yeah, I mean, that's the whole point of having a cistern is to have, and I don't know, that didn't make sense. Even that, Ishmael just seemed like a really unstable, angry dude. Yep. Yeah, 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 it was just... Uh, Killing to kill. That's what <clears throat> yeah. it seems like. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. He's just, uh, maybe he's on some kind of power play, doesn't like, I don't know what it was he took against these guys, but he was obviously not above being bribed, though. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Just odd. Just so very odd. But, okay. You would think, though, if he's doing this, that he's trying to claim the area. But he grabs everybody that's in there in the area, and he starts carrying them off to go to the Ammonites. And so this, there's nothing about this guy that is making sense to me. You know, he's he's carrying them off. Uh, how does it go? Uh, for everybody that's in Mitzpah, which is where that governor was at, and he just starts carrying them to the Ammonites. And I was. Oh, man. I don't know. I don't get the guy. I really don't. But now this guy, Johanan, who we met um, a couple of weeks ago, he's the one who had warned Gedaliah that uh, Ishmael was coming. Johanan goes after him and uh, finds him. They they return the uh, return the captives and Ishmael escapes. 
So now Johanan is another one that I don't quite get because, you know, why? Okay, I get here. You're, you want to protect the people. Okay, that's cool. Then he brings them back to Judah or specifically to wherever they were, but back, back into Judah. But his intent then is to take everybody to Egypt. So I, I, I don't know. I was just, I was struggling with the motivations of everybody here, but maybe it's because we're looking in hindsight at everything. You know what I put down? I just wrote chaos on my notes. Yeah. Well, I think they were all over, you know, they basically were dismantled, the leadership taken away, and now they're just floundering. Mm-hmm. They don't know which way is up, which way to go. Um, friend or foe, it's like, it's just chaos. Yeah, I guess maybe, you know, when you see a nation just dismantled like that, just completely taken apart, I guess, you know, it starts becoming every man for themselves, every, you know, whoever can grab power is going to. Uh, and for whatever reasons, and Johanan just doesn't, maybe, I, I guess he doesn't feel comfortable being in this area while it's under control of Babylon. But he feels comfortable going to Egypt where he'll be under the control of Egypt. That didn't make sense to me, except mm-hmm. that Egypt would be a place he chose to go. So he would be like a voluntary immigrant versus a, you know, a leftover of a captured nation living under the captor. So yeah. I think the last time we were in Jeremiah, um, didn't they want to align somehow align themselves with the Egyptians before they finally got overran by the, by Babylon, um, the Babylonian King. So, you know, maybe it, he felt it was the lesser of two evils. And and it probably was, at least in the in the respect that Egypt wasn't actively trying to attack them. So right. Egypt was also a superpower in that world, a military superpower, but was neutral in this fight. Right. Whereas Babylonia is an active aggressor in the fight. Yeah. And I think, well, we've seen Egypt kind of be back and forth of being allies and adver- adversaries with uh, Israel and Judah, too, through you know, all these different kings. And so, I don't know. You know what? I'm going to go grab my timeline Bible out of Mm -hmm. the other room and see like how long, because remember, remember last, I think it was last couple of weeks, we've been observing that this was like a long, slow invasion. Mm -hmm. I wonder how many years into this, this is because think about, okay, like think about what's happened around the globe just over the last two years. Mm-hmm. With all like the division and the lockdowns and the this and the that and all the fear and think how crazy people have acted. And that's yeah. not that's not one nation trying to come and attack another nation. That's just this other situation. And look at how people have reacted to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's just sort of a post-apocalyptic reaction maybe here where different people are trying to gain power. Or survive. Or survive. I mean, this is straight up like a survivor thing. Yeah. I mean, but my impression was, and maybe I'm totally wrong. Obviously, I wasn't there. But my impression was sort of that while Gedaliah was governor, things seemed to be fairly stable. I don't know. Because Jeremiah, that's where Jeremiah chose to go, was to go stay with Gedaliah. And, you know, and it seemed like he was being treated well. You know, so Ishmael was just like you said, was just kind of unstable because look in 18, 
um, I have highlighted here because the Chaldeans, for they were afraid of them because Ishmael, the son of Nathan, had murdered Gedaliah and, you know, whom yeah. the king of Babylon had put it, made a governor of the land. So maybe mm-hmm. this, he was just a renegade and just unstable. He was yeah. one, a person that they just couldn't control and he was going to do what he wanted to do. Okay, yeah. here's what we've got. So for those of you that haven't heard this spiel before, I have a, it's just a traditional King James Bible, but in the center column, it has a sort of like a group of scholars best estimate as to what year these things are happening in. So if I go back to chapter 37, where Jeremiah is prophesying the Babylonian victory, that's in 599 BC. Okay. And then chapter 38, where Jeremiah is thrown into the dungeon. Remember when that happened? Mm-hmm. That's um, in 590. Right? It's only nine years. Five years have gone by since then. Then in chapter 39, when Je- Jerusalem is taken and Zedekiah gets sent to Babel- Babylon, we're at about 588, so another two years. And mm-hmm. now where we're talking about in chapter 41, we're still in 588. So this is all happening in the year that Jerusalem was actually taken. Yeah. And I'd say that's a pretty good estimate because that's something that's going to be tracked openly in historical records, not just biblical scrolls. So that's right. going to have a, a well-rounded sort of history of dates pointing in that direction yeah but and it's so it's been drawn out but maybe not as much as i was thinking though because i mean by that we're only looking at like 10 or 11 years only that's a long time though sure but you know i'm in my head i was thinking more like 20 30 i don't know but um but i gotta remember some of those kings came and went so fast right months but, so but really this was, was also true. this was also the year Jerusalem was taken. Yeah. Yeah. So it has been a pretty quick upheaval. I mean, because, yeah, 10 years isn't that long in terms of, you know, uh, of a nation's existence. And and uh, but it is in know. terms of a war. Gracious. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it, it's short enough, though, that people living in that would feel. I don't know, I guess it'd be sort of an odd mix of feeling constantly out of control, but almost growing comfortable with it, if you know what I mean. Not comfortable, but um, adjusted. Adjusted, thank you, yeah, adjusted to it. And so when it finally culminates in in the defeat of the nation, then, you know, sort of people are poised and ready to step in where they see a gap and and try to seize some power. I mean, haven't you guys noticed, like, I mean, this is, I'm, I just immediately am thinking of, like, the whole world's reaction to COVID. And didn't you notice how some people, how people reacted so differently to the exact same set of stimuli? Like, some people, you know, immediately felt attacked and wanted to lash back, push back, this kind of thing. Other people were like, okay, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I can I can do that, mm-hmm. right? And it's, I mean, that's all the same people. Like, that's, we all live together. Mm-hmm. But look at the absolute opposite reactions. And, of course, there was all the stuff in between, too. But I'm just kind of taking the extremes for the purpose of, of drawing the illustration. Sure. And then 
And then what, at least what I noticed was that as the, as the situation drew out and drew out and drew out and took longer and got closer and closer to home and got more and more severe, then more people either said, okay, I can get on board with that. And more people went to the other side. So it basically divided the human nature and everybody went from just kind of neutral, like I've never thought about what I would do in this situation because I've never been in it. And all of a sudden it pushed people to almost like opposite sides of the human spectrum of feeling, reaction, priorities, things like that. Because some people, didn't you notice that? Like it just like some people went this way and some people went, I'm gesturing with my hands right now, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, we see it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it just and 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 I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying it to it me it is. was a fascinating human nature thing where if you push people, some people look for a reason to go along and some people look for the reasons to push back. And that's just human nature. And I think well, I would guess what happened here is that when Jerusalem fell, People who hadn't pushed back before were all of a sudden ready to scrabble around, gather up some supplies, and the and the remnant. They keep calling it the remnant, which I found fascinating. The way the re- the word remnant is used over the course of the Bible, I thought that was a fascinating choice of words. And they're ready to go to Egypt. Like, uh-uh, that's it. We're gone. Like, mm-hmm. whatever had happened, this was where they hit their limit and stood yep. up and were like, nope, no further. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I guess I think of it in terms of like, you know, you see some post-apocalyptic style movies and TV shows and stuff like that. And you always see the same kind of thing. There's always people who step in to take power and some people who just try to survive. And and, um, obviously this is kind of, it's just kind of our human nature where, you know, it's going to be that some things are just going to seem irrational uh, on either, uh, either end of that spectrum. You know, somebody's there's always going to be somebody who who is on either side and doesn't understand the other side, you know. But in this case, it doesn't matter. They've hit yeah. the point is they've hit their limit and they're ready to bail and they yeah. go to Jeremiah to get in. And honestly, I'm going to make a TV res- reference. So get excited. <gasps> so one of the few TV shows that I've ever seen more than one episode of is Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, well, quality then. or whatever. I mean, it was on TV. Is that really? Okay. So, and so I remember this episode and I always liked the character of, of Jean-Luc Picard. Mm -hmm. I always liked that character. Like he was level-headed, he was funny and he, you know, he was just kind of like this cool guy. Well, at one point, and, and I actually thought of this while I was reading these chapters, like he hits his limit and he's like, he's shouting. And I don't remember what happened because I don't remember the races or who was doing what. But he says flat out, the line must be drawn here, this far and no further. And I was like, yep, that's what's going on in Jeremiah. That's what's going on right there. These people are just like, we can't see the future. We perceive this as our only solution. We do not like what's happening, and we have to do something. And this is what we're going to do. We're going yeah. to Egypt. But then they go seek out the words, the word of the Lord. Yeah. And they yeah. say flat out, tell us what to do, and we'll do it. Huh. I think that might have actually been one of the movies. And it was the Borg. What? Yep. It might yep. have been. It was. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, hey, good on you for, for broadening... <laughs> Good, good on you for confusing the TV show with a movie. We're just or happy something. used a reference that we were comfortable with. 
and, and bro- broadening your cultural influences and, and expanding your mind. He's so proud. Or the collective mind, one or the other. <laughs> I've become part of the hive mind. <laughs> That's funny. I'm not even sure if Karen gets that joke. <laughs> All right, anyway, squirrel. Uh, <laughs> so Joe Hanan wants to take these people to Egypt. And oh, these guys drive me nuts because they go to they go to Jeremiah and they ask him, what should they do next? Like, should we go to Egypt? And Jeremiah says, well, I will go ask God and I'll tell you what God says. And God says, stay in Judah, which is interesting because it's like the exact opposite of what he was telling everybody in Judah to do before. Before it was, no, you're going to yeah. leave Judah. Now he's saying, no, stay in Judah. Don't go to Egypt. Don't be afraid of Babylon. None of that. So before we get into before we get into what happens there, I think it's important to point out that part of the so okay, yes, this is the same year that Jerusalem fell. Gedaliah, the guy that got assassinated, had also been appointed to rule the land by the Babylonian king. Mm-hmm. So even within their fallen nation state, they still had a leader that their captor had put over them, and now that's the guy that had gotten assassinated. So that's the point of chaos that's going on here. So they're ready to bail. They don't want a captor under a captor. So they go to Jeremiah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and God is telling him to stay. Uh, So, you know, I guess in a way, even the people who are in Judah are still under the control of Babylon. So it's still all of Judah being in that corrective action that God has, has worked out for on, for them, mm-hmm. where if, even if you got carried away, because these, I mean, this is people who came back to Judah. My, I don't know exactly why they had gone away. I mean, the land has just been in upheaval for, you know, decades at this point. And so the idea that people are like, Nope, I'm out. It, it's not that hard to believe, but now they've come back. And now they're wanting to leave again, you know, but um, but even these people now who came back are under that Babylonian rule. And um, that's where God wants them. And they don't really want to be, but he promises them. He says, I'll, I will build you and will not pull you down. He says, I relent concerning the disaster that I brought upon you. Now, this isn't I don't think this is God saying I really feel sorry for it, you know. It's kind of, I think it's more like God saying, okay, it's been enough and just hold tight now, you know, just sit where you are because, uh, this is, this is where you should be now. But he says, uh, if you disobey and go to Egypt anyway, you're going to die by the sword and famine that you're trying to avoid. So don't go to Egypt. That's the short, that's the short story here. But Jeremiah knows exactly what's happening here. He says, you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord. So he knows that they're just wanting to have their desires confirmed by God rather than asking him to lead. How often do we do that? Yep, hmm. that, that's what I have. You know, it, it is a fine balance that we that we we find ourselves in a lot of times because we've discussed here a lot of times how we we realize that we have to step out and start moving and and be asking God which direction to go. 
But if you start moving and God says, no, go the other way, you can't be like, well, nope, I'm already going this way. It's a fine balance to be to be willing to step out and start, at, but yet still be waiting for God's direction. Maybe it's a part of the human condition that we we struggle with to listen to God rather than just asking him to bless what we're already doing. But Johanan and his companions, we get into chapter 43 and they um, they accused Jeremiah of speaking falsely in order to deliver them to the Chaldeans. Uh, and I'm like, why did you go to him in the first place? Right. I, let's let's go to him and and we promise we'll do whatever God says. Just ask him and we'll obey. Yeah. And then not so much. Yeah. Well, I suppose they just they felt so strongly that they were doing the right thing, but then they fall into the same you know trap that all the kings had before, where they'd say, "I don't like what you're saying." And so you must be against us. Mm, we're just going, but you've seen what's happened. And uh, I don't know. It's just like, what is it with these people asking for God's advice and then doing the exact exact opposite for what he told them to do? I don't know. I don't know. But he takes all this remnant of Judah who had just returned to Judah and goes to Egypt. But God gives Jeremiah this interesting thing to do, like he he tends to do with some of these prophets. He says, take some large stones with the men from Judah watching and hide them in the courtyard of Pharaoh's house. So, okay, interesting little thing here. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar will set his throne above these stones. Meanwhile, he's going to bring death and captivity and the sword. He's going to burn the houses of the Egyptian gods. And he is going to leave completely unscathed which you know i mean if you're going to if you're going to a place to try to feel safe from a threat and then you're told that that threat is going to come in and uh wreck things again and walk away with no oh with no harm that wouldn't be a very encouraging message to get but it's not supposed to be encouraging right so uh let's see if we get into chapter 44 then and God is talking to the people now. He says, you've seen all the calamity that I brought to Judah for not listening to me, for continuing their wickedness and burning incense to other gods. So why are you doing the same thing now in Egypt? What do you think of that? No, it's the same road that we've been down from the beginning. It's like, you know what to do, but yet you still won't do it. I show you all the great wonders. I bless the temple that you've built. Fire comes out of the sky, but yet you still are looking for something else. Yeah. What do yeah. I have to do? What more do I have to do? I've dismantled my people. I've, you know, I've uh, scattered them all over the world again. And still you do this. Mm hmm. It makes me think of the times we've said here on the podcast, and I've heard other people say, you know, oh, I just wish God would just talk directly to us. Well, in this case, they just about did. And the people were like, OK, yeah, no, we're not doing we're not doing that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. OK, so short story from Karen's lifeline. Once upon a time, I had my first boyfriend and he everything seemed to be going fine. And then he did. He suddenly like changed direction and I was 
hurt and confused and did not have experience with men. He was a lot older than me. He had a lot more experience with this kind of thing than I did. And he, at one point, I, this is the first time I ever had God speak directly to me in any way. And I, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I was just like, just tell me what to do. I'm so confused. I'm so confused. And then I just waited. Like I finished my prayer and I just waited to see what God would say. And God said, clear as a bell, let him go, leave him to me. And I was like, oh, first of all, I was so startled that I actually got like a direct response to my prayer that I just like sat there just completely in awe. And then I let him go until the next time I saw it. And then I got all confused and tried to resurrect. the. You see what I'm getting at? Like, it's a good idea in theory. And then this thing gets in your face and it pulls on your feelings and it pulls on your fears or your anger or your feelings of your rights or whatever. And, and, and then you just, and like a month into trying to resurrect the relationship with him, I was like, what the heck am I doing? Like God directly said, let him go, leave him to me. Like you can't get more clear than that. And so, Mm -hmm. so then I, I, you know, I did it right. But I ended up having a good chuckle at myself because as soon as the situation got in my face again, I completely disregarded the very clear direction I had from my creator and was just prepared to like jump off the nearest cliff out of my own stupidity and emotional pull, right? Mm -hmm. So I can't begrudge these guys what they're doing, but it looks really stupid when you read it on paper. You're just like, you, you, (laughs) yeah. You went to a prophet and said, please go to God for us. And whatever he, whatever you tell us that God says, we'll obey it. And then, nope. Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, it's sort of a lesson to me because as we've been reading through scripture and like every time you read about the Israelites going bad and you're like, but you saw the signs you saw, you have all the stories You see all these things, you've seen direct action from God, and you keep doing all the wrong stuff. And like, oh, you idiots, why are you doing that? And it's sort of a lesson to me, I guess, that, you know what, I guess if I were in the same situation, who knows what I would do? If I had gotten myself so worked up for uh, having a bias towards wanting to go in a certain direction, how much am I going to listen to God? I don't know, you know. Well, I mean, you're that... gonna, you you have the but like these people at least had the idea enough to go and seek it out. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, God but... God's response to this I thought was really interesting. And and to me, to me what this boiled down to was like why wouldn't why wouldn't God let them go? Like why is he so opposed to it? Hmm. But in verse 18 in 42:18, he says, "This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says." As my anger and wrath have been poured out on those who lived in Jerusalem, so will my wrath be poured out on you when you go to Egypt. You will be a curse and an object of horror, a curse and an object of reproach. You will never see this place again. And then here's the word remnant again. Remnant of Judah, the Lord has told you, do not go to Egypt. Be sure of this. I warn you today that you made a fatal mistake. When you sent me to the Lord your God and said, pray to the Lord our God for us and tell us everything he says and we will do it, blah, blah, blah. Now be sure you will die by the sword, famine and plague in the place where you want to go settle. 
basically to me what i get out of that is all of this is a reprimand from god this is a straight up punishment of israel they're not supposed to be able to sidestep it and come back when it's more comfortable mm -hmm. this is a punishment a correction from their father to try to get them back on the path of noticing him, appreciating him, and worshiping him. And these people are trying to sidestep it and get out from under the punishment and only come back when the punishment is done. Mm -hmm. This is what I had written down, though. Has the 70 years started? I, I don't know. know. When did that start? Did it start the you year? Because I'm wondering if he's saying, okay, you're trying to sidestep this and we need to get the 70 year counter started. Because that was that was Jeremiah's, um, you know, um, prophecy basically to say, listen, you have to, we have to go do our seventy years under Babylonian rule, and be and be held captive there, and our whole nation dismantled, but we're still trying to get all the pieces set to get this going, and I'm wondering if at this point God was just like, you know what, we need to get the punishment started, quit trying to avoid it. Let's get the spanking. Let's get it over with so we can move on. Well, and that's an interesting way to look at it because. You yeah, know what I mean? I, I, I was looking at it with my boys and, you know, I'm putting myself out on a limb here, but, you know, they would occasionally get a spanking. And it was the build up to it where it was like, well, can we talk about it? Wait, can we do this? Wait, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? And it's finally it's to the point where it's like, let's just get it over with. Let's get the punishment. And then let's start the rebuilding process. The longer we draw it out, it's just not getting us anywhere. Yeah. I'm looking at a commentary here. So what I'm seeing is, let's see, working our way backwards to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. That's a text from Second Chronicles, sort of looking ahead. So it looks like, Daniel arrived in Babylon in about 605. So if that's the standard, then the 70 years has already started. Yeah. I would have to look back at previous chapters because I remember us noticing that before, that it was kind of like this. It was almost like they were conquered in pieces. So like maybe it wasn't the downfall of Jerusalem. Maybe it was the first wave of captivity that was taken. Because remember they came in and they took like, they took like, it was less than 10,000 people, but they took a chunk of people. Do you guys remember that a few weeks ago? Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that's when the 70 years started. That's kind of what it's implying here. Well, yeah, it would, so it would be. Sense. So it would be 605 to, um, and these, these are round numbers. They began returning to Jerusalem in 538 BC. And that's that's what it was from the from the going forth of the command of sight. What was it? Well, anyway, I'm not going to try and quote prophecy here because I'll just yeah. myself. But yeah, if Zedekiah was taken out at uh, what was it? 588. And then you saying they started coming back when? Get, Gedaliah, I think, was who was taken out in 588. Oh, right? OK. So that was, OK, well, that still is a you know, that's a round of time. I mean, but they, but were, they start... were already my point is they were already into the captivity, the beat, the takeover from Babylon enough that thousands of people had already been taken to Babylon. Yeah. And they had had um, alternate kings set up in Judah. Right. Under the, you know, to serve Babylon and to watch the people and pay tribute and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're already into it. 
but I guess my I guess what I was getting at is, and that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. We you know are we trying to start the timeline? I guess what I was getting at was if this was a group of people who needed to be part of the correction, they're not allowed to they're not allowed to run away and hide from it. Mm-hmm. You know, you you have to do your part too. And they had already been under correction in the form of a foreign king appointed you know over them by by uh, Babylonia. They had, they had already had that for a while, you know, a, a captor king, but they wanted to scoot out from even under that. And I guess, I guess I can't help but read some of this chaos and sort of wartime misery and look at this, you know, all the garbage that's going on in the world today and think to myself, like, when, when do the nations reach their fill of God's wrath? How does he respond to that? And, you know, are we are we allowed to to step out from under it and try to avoid it? Yeah, because it's I mean, because it's, it's sort of sounding to me like maybe it's sounding to me like the the punishment had begun and they were trying to avoid it uh, and not so much maybe that we were waiting to start. But um, yeah, they, I think it reached a new level of intensity with the assassination yeah. and the this and the that. And I think they were just like, no, we can't handle anymore. We're going to go. Yeah, and God's like, no, no, <laughs> you're you're part of this, and you're and you're going to you're gonna you're gonna get. Um, Don't make me turn this car around. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I can see and and so when they try to leave, uh, it just gets worse for them because they're still not listening. They're still not yeah. doing. They're still not doing what they've been told. And, well, and 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 I guess if you take this all the way back to the fact that they were told in advance that there was going to be a 70-year course correction for Israel and that it was going to be horrible, but if they went along with it, they would be brought safely back to their home. Well, okay, that's faint consolation to people who are already an adult and they're not going to see the end of that timeline. Yeah. Even if they, even if every, if all of these fully grown men right here in this chapter had heard Jeremiah's prophecies and thought to themselves, you know what, he's right. Judah has gotten really off course. We do need a course correction. This is God. This is our Father God reprimanding us and trying to get us back in line with what He's doing. Even if they thought all of that, they don't get to see the end of it. They don't get to come back from captivity. They're dead by then. They're already adults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and to me, that would change their response to it. To me, it would be hard pressed for an adult generation to go, all right, I'll willingly go into captivity and live there for the rest of my natural life. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a tough that's a tough call. And I would mm-hmm. guess that that is specifically why Jeremiah was sent to call it out in advance. This is going to take a couple of generations and then we'll be back. Yeah, no, it would be it would be tough. I mean, you know, we've already <laughs> we've already divulged our our ages at this point. And seventy years, if we had to leave at seventy years, we know we wouldn't be coming back. And, First uh, of all, both of you have bad knees, and you wouldn't make the walk to Babylon. And I've broken <laughs> my feet before, so I wouldn't either. So, like, I don't even know what would happen there. I'm gonna need a camera. <laughs> So I don't know. I mean, it, it it helps to kind of see some of the human nature of it and understand a little bit of why why they were doing what they were doing and, and then being able to apply it to our own lives and you know how would we react maybe we would react the same way it's hard to say there was this horrifying verse in chapter 43 43 12 it goes there's a sentence that goes like this it's the second half of the verse 
as a shepherd picks his garment clean of lice. <laughs> so he will pick Egypt clean and depart. Oh, that's the comparison. Yeah, that's I, uh, lovely. <laughs> that's it. That's the end of analysis. I just, you know. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, so they're in Egypt mm -hmm. and they have continued to do all the things in Egypt that they were being punished for in Judah. Yep. And God, you know, he's pointing it out. It's like, how, uh, what do you say? You, um, you continue to burn incense to the queen of heaven, which we're mm -hmm. probably talking about Asherah. We've been talking about Asherah poles and, or ISIS or, you know, the, Egypt, the Egyptians had a lot of, yep. yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, the point being it's, it's not God, Yahweh, Jehovah, whatever you want to call him at this point. He, they're worshiping this, this false goddess. And God is just like, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what happened? And you're still doing it. And the people are like, yeah, we're going to keep doing it too. And their excuse is because when we were doing it before, we had plenty of food and wealth and we didn't lack anything. And the women, <laughs> the women's response here to this uh, is, well, our husbands gave us permission. I'm not sure if that's, oh, I guess it's kind of passing blame. Um, but the serpent tricked me. Yeah. Sniff. Yeah. Yeah. But they're, yeah, they're all like, yeah, we're, yeah, we did it and we're going to keep doing it because things were good when we were doing it. And it's and a Jeremy. very interesting rationale. It is, but I guess you can sort of see it if they're if they're not if they're not all in with God. Yeah, okay. if you're so not I all have an in... analytical brain, and my analytical brain says correlation, not causation, people. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. That's kind of what I was gonna, was thinking too, is that they weren't recognizing that their lack of of uh, of sustenance and goods and whatnot is now part of this punishment they were put into uh, because they kept doing the wrong thing and they're and and uh, they're not recognizing that that the one thing they wanted to do is what's causing this in the first place. But Jeremiah's pointed out, it's like, well, but isn't this isn't this what brought all this on you in the first place? God couldn't stand it anymore. And now that land is, it's an empty desolation. It's like, look at it. Look what you just came from. Because all these people are hoping to go back to Judah someday. And, 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 and Jeremiah is like, look at it. It's, it's empty. It's dead. There's nothing there. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing to go back to at this point. And it's because of all these things you were doing before. And, and so then God is, um, he says to the people through Jeremiah, he just basically said, you said with your own mouths that you won't stop worshiping this king, this queen of heaven. So now none of you are going to claim me as your God. That was interesting to me. And, we, you know, we were talking about why God would. Why God would start wiping them out here, why he would um, why he would do this. But these are people who, even when they've seen the results, keep going back. And if that's God's like, if that's what you want, then you don't get to claim me anymore. It was also to the point of, you know, if we look right towards the end of 44, it's like, you know what? And the Egyptians will be punished, too. Yeah. 
I thought it was where to go. I just had my finger on it. Oh, so I thought in the second half of verse 28, 44, 28, God says, then the whole remnant of Judah who came to live in Egypt will know whose word will stand mine or theirs. Yeah. And so, and that's, and that's the, like, that's the thing that's, that he's trying to do here is the whole, he's trying to bring the whole country's attention back to him and have them stop being distracted by themselves and other gods and this and that and the other thing. I mean, just distracted by every shiny, you know, thing or squirrel that, you know, goes jogging by them. And he's just trying to course correct them back onto his path. And and if they insist on going the opposite direction, then this is how he's going to handle it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Egypt will go to their enemies. I'll hand mm-hmm. Egypt over to their enemies. Right. Yeah. And... You know, it's gotten to a point where God has to cut them off because the world has been looking at them as the people who are supposed to follow him. And I, I can only imagine everybody knows that this, this group of people, this nation, had been claiming this particular God, as we know of as capital G God, claiming him to be their God, but still worshiping all these other gods as well. And that sort of compromise just doesn't work in God's kingdom. It absolutely does not work because he stresses that he is the only God. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. You know, this this uh, Asherah doesn't exist. Isis doesn't exist, at least not. You know, I always wonder, it's like, what what drew them to that in the first place? I don't understand how they could have gotten pulled so far away with this, you know, belief of these other other gods living in the nation they did. But the point here being this compromise just can't happen anymore when this people is supposed to be showing an example to the rest of the world of who God is, what he does, how he functions, and they don't even commit. You can't have other people going, oh, well, look, um, yeah, you can worship him and do what you want. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. So this is why this is why he says none of you. Well, I mean, I guess there are a small group. He does say there will be a small group that will go back. But this is why you're going to end up wiped out in Egypt because it just can't be. And like we said, uh, even the Pharaoh is going to get turned over to his enemies, just like just like Hezekiah did. I don't know what was going on with Pharaoh other than course you know pharaohs had their own their own whole different thing where they thought they were gods so interesting that they're part of the punishment too i don't know okay so there's a text in timothy that all of this reminds me of it is i think i have it underlined let me look here yeah and and this is this is like the thing that it boils down to this this is first timothy 2 5 for there is one god and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's it. So yes. all these all these generations of Israel and Judah and this and that, distracted, 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 distracted. Well, but we've been doing, you know, food and drink offerings to the Queen of Heaven, and our life was really great. So we're just going to keep doing that. You know, mm-hmm. and it, we've read before how they were absolutely befouling the temple of the Lord. You know, previous generations of Israelites, after after you know spending all these years being people of war, finally they were going to settle down and be a people of peace. And so they built the temple. And then over the generations, think what changed. 
you know, they went from this, from this holy, even the building atmosphere of the temple was kept so reverent that like they cut the stones somewhere else and then brought them in so that the building site would be silent. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And we went from that to prostitution in the temple rooms. Mm. Like this is bad. Yeah. And, and the whole thing, I mean, this is this is a spanking, you know, and and you know, they they probably deserved it. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. promises he'll bring them back out of it, but they're they're gonna get spanked. Right. We could look at this as just like utter judgment. You know, this is just God coming down on them and it is. It, well, yes, it is. <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is. But it's more than just like the wrath of God. You know, this is God. This is God's grace towards, I think, the whole planet to us, even where he could have just he could have just Sodom and Gomorrah them, you know, but instead he pulls them away, allows a couple generations to pass for people to to realize what they've lost. And it's always interesting that God's like, no, we got we got to separate this by a bit. Because, you know, the Israelites, when they had to wander for 40 years, that was to let a generation pass because those were people who had gotten something set in their head and and weren't listening and away from it. Yeah. And, you know, so it's like when God has to do that or like when we see him wiping out something like Sodom and Gomorrah or telling the Israelites to go in and wipe out a city, it's it's under a recognition that those are that's a place. Those are people that. They're just not going to change. They've yeah, had every think about. I mean, what what was it that um, that Abraham said when God when the angels were headed over there? You know, it's like, well, if there are just this many people, okay, well, how about this many people? And he keeps bringing the number down. Well, what if you find only ten people that are holy? Will you save the city? Yeah, yeah, I'll save the city for the sake of the few, right? Mm-hmm. And then they get there, and the men in the city are like, "Hey, we saw those good-looking dudes come in to stay with you. Bring them out here." It's like, mm. ew. Like, that's where that city had degraded to. Mm-hmm. So, lest we lose sight of the state of these. And that's what I was saying earlier about, like, when a nation, and I'm using the Old Testament language because those are the biblical references I'm thinking of. When the, when a nation gets to the point where their cup of God's wrath is full, where they have filled their own cup until there's nothing else to be done for them. And I go back to one of my favorite verses in Peter, the Lord isn't slow as most people count slowness. Instead, he is patient, willing that all should come to repentance, right? When things drag out and take time and take forever, that's God working with people and nations within the free will that he's given the human race. He can't do it any other way. Right. Otherwise, he's just a tyrant if he's trying to just force things and... I mean, it is sort of a my way or the highway thing, but in this way, the highway isn't just getting completely wiped out. The highway is, okay, you guys got to go on a little trip, and your children or your great-grandchildren will come back with a different perspective than you had so that we can continue this thing on the way that it ought to be going. Yeah. It's an interesting way of showing grace through the correction, through the punishment, through what they call the wrath, you know, um, when you just have to do something because you can't let keep things keep going the way they are. 
And in the case of God, he can't have these people showing such a compromised nature when they're supposed to be representing him. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work for them. It doesn't work for the rest of the world. It doesn't work for the plan of salvation. And I think as we continue down, we're going to see, once we get to the Gospels, we're going to see that they definitely learned a lesson, but that maybe carried it a little too far, swung the pendulum too far the other way. But uh, they definitely learned the lesson at, to the point where um, they were absolutely not going to let themselves be compromised like that again. So they are getting punished, and the, the king of Egypt is going to go down with them, and that is where that chapter leaves off. So I think that is going to wrap up our reading for this week. Next week, we will be looking at Jeremiah chapter 45 through 48. We're just going to have another couple of weeks left in Jeremiah before we move on. But while you're waiting for that, remember that you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can look us up on Facebook. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors. And make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so we reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Just so you know, Matt has muted himself and is blowing his nose. It's <laughs> lovely. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I try to. I try to maintain the integrity <laughs> of this podcast, but. <laughs> uh.